Welcome to You See What I Mean podcast. I'm really excited to have you. And right now you are studying sociology at a R1 uh, research school, right? Yes. And what's that like? Um, it's very interesting, I guess. I guess it's just like the environment that I'm in. Um, like being the first one out of my family, being first generation and like when you're admitted to a school it doesn't really hit you until you're years into it it's like oh I'm the first one out of my family to go to college I'm gonna be the first one to hand over like a bachelor's degree to my parents and how does that feel it's I guess it's um it's exciting but at the same time it's um it's nerve-wracking like all of this pressure being put on you, but at the same time, you don't want to tell your parents about it because you don't want to um, concern them or anything. It's just like this pressure, like you have to find a job after you graduate. Um, I'm basically like their retirement. It's, yeah, that's that's what it is. Do you think they understand or is it difficult for them to comprehend because your background and your culture is Mexican, right? Yeah. Um they understand. My my parents are very understanding. They know what challenges I'm going through, especially like um, I have other cousins that are around the same age as me. So I know that I didn't grow up with the same background as them. I didn't grow up with the same resources, opportunities, even financially. Um, so I know that you can't really compare me to them. You can't really like say like, oh, your cousin's doing this, they're doing that. I don't have that those same opportunities, so they know that I struggle. Um, they try to they try to help me from time to time, but um, they know it's not been easy to get where I am right now. Mm -hmm. Because you're a DACA student, correct? Yes. And what is DACA for those that don't know what it is? So DACA is um, so what it stands for is a defer defer um, arrival. The first action childhood arrivals, and it was um, it was implemented by Obama in I want to say like in two thousand. I want to say like two thousand like twelve, and uh, well, he basically um, he basically made this executive order for children who were brought to the United States by their parents from other countries. It doesn't only apply to um, like North America, South America. It's um, like children who have come from Europe, children who have come from, who have immigrated from like Mexico, Guatemala, Brazil. And it's basically um, like a protection from deportation, but it's also an opportunity for them to have a social security number, um, have a work permit, and in some states have access to higher education. 
And is California one of those states? Yeah, California is like, um, it's a really nice state because it's a sanctuary. It's basically like a sanctuary state and it helps a lot with their um, immigrant population. But there's also locked out states such as North Carolina or Florida right now. I don't know if you've seen it on the news, but they've um, been passing some really hard anti-immigration laws where... Um, you can't go to the hospital anymore unless you give them your status, your immigration status. Um, you can't get a job anymore um, because they're putting like all of these um, things in the system where they're going to check like if you have a social security or not. So um, I think I've been lucky and my parents as well that we decided to stay in California. Yeah, I didn't know about that. I think I've heard about it, but I haven't like been keeping up with it. So yeah, that's crazy. So there are some benefits mm-hmm. like like it allows you to stay in the states, right? Yeah. But there's a lot of challenges and issues that come with it, correct? Yeah. So like some of them, I guess, um, you have to pay four hundred and four hundred and I want to say like forty nine dollars or like around almost five hundred dollars to DHS, which is the Department of Homeland Security, um, every two years to renew your DACA and. The thing is, like, you just don't renew it, like, as soon as it's about to expire. You have to renew it six months before it expires. So then once it expires, your new card has arrived and, like, your application has been approved. But it's only, like, around $500 if you know how to do the paperwork. But the thing is, with anything with immigration, it's really tricky. You don't want to mess up. You do one little mistake and, like, they throw your whole application out. So a lot of people go to nonprofits or they go to lawyers to get all of that paperwork settled down. So I want to say like the costs come around almost like almost to a thousand dollars to a hundred dollars, 500 to DHS. And then the half of the money goes to whoever's doing the paperwork for you. And what are the consequences if you don't fill it out on time? I mean, if you apply to DACA and then you don't renew it, um, it's just immigration services, having your address, having, um, access to all your to all of your information and especially if you have other family members who are in the same situation as you it's like you basically gave them the address to where you live um i guess it's not being able to work not being able to have a proper identification um id or being able to travel out of the state yeah i think mm, and yeah most are like things like basic necessities that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And what would you say are some like social um, kind of, um, oh man, social implications of, of DACA? Social implications? Like, what do you mean by that? Like um, interacting with friends, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like you've been, you've, you, I think yeah. you've said it before that it's kind of difficult and tricky that sometimes you don't really want to mention it mm-hmm. because people see you different. Yeah, I guess, um, some of the social implications are you don't want others to feel pity pity for you. Other people um, will view you differently. Um, some might find resentment. It's like, oh my God, like you were brought here. You're not supposed to be here. You broke the law. Kind of like racism, discrimination. Other times, other people will view you like, um, why are you having access to all of these resources that are not for you? You're taking up spaces that are not for you. You're taking all these kind of like the rhetoric of like, you're taking all of our jobs. You're taking all of our, our opportunities. And 
I think for me, it's mostly like just educating people who are not knowledgeable about it because then they start making all of these beliefs, all of these thoughts into it. And you have to sit down with them and like kind of like have to tell them it's it's a really it's a really broad concept and something new to everyone, I feel like. Yeah. And is it fatiguing for you? To like keep in like answering, I'm sure even doing this podcast, like you get some like feelings of like, damn, like it's, I have to it, keep repeating yeah. myself. Yeah. Um, I think for me at the beginning, yes, I think now, not really. I haven't, I think, um, I haven't really talked about it with anyone to to this extent as I am with you. Um, maybe like to other people who share the same identity as me, but it's different with them because they, people know what we're going through, but it's kind of difficult to explain it to somebody who doesn't. It's like, we have to sit down for hours to talk about this. Um, so I think maybe that's why I stopped doing it just because I don't want to be dealing with people who are going to view me differently. People who are going to treat me dif- differently and yeah, I think that's why I just stopped explaining it to them and like kept my identity um, kind of hidden from them. Would you be willing to like say what age you came to America? Yeah. So my parents brought me when I was one year old. So I was basically a baby. Um, I think maybe that's why I was, it was so easy for me to hide my whole identity. I I literally grew up here. Um, it's but to the government and to other people, it's like, no, this isn't your country. But this is like where I took my first steps, where I said my first words, um, where I went to school since I was like five years old. Um, but yeah, but it's like one piece of paper that like defines your whole life, basically. Yeah. And how does it make you feel like when you come into contact with the Mexicans that were born here? Does Do you feel any type of way or is it like, dang, like... What does that feel like? If there isn't even a feeling. That's yeah. just like a, a question that, that is always interesting to me because I have a brother that's undocumented, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he's, I don't know if he's resentful towards mm-hmm. me, but he is very like upset. And like he sees that like, like if he was born, yeah, if he was born here, he would have a lot more opportunities this is the way he sees it. I think those feelings of like anger of resentment only come when... You're trying to knock on opportunities, on doors for opportunities, and they keep they keep shutting them down in your face. It's like, I've been here my entire life, and you're telling me no. Um, like, what else do you want? Like, it was... And um, I think for me, um, I, I don't see it. Um, I've, always, I've always been the kind of person where I would never be jealous of anyone because no matter what person... No matter how many things a person has, how many like money they have or like resources, opportunities, everyone always has something that they're struggling with and something that I wouldn't want in my life. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, I'll see my cousins, I'll see my friends and they'll have like all of these opportunities lined up for them. Even like EBT, even like FAFSA, like basic resources that I'm like, oh my God, like I wish I had that. But at the same time, I'm grateful for the life that my parents crafted for me, the sacrifices that they made just to even give me this opportunity in life because I don't know how my life would have been if I would have stayed over there. So I think it's just when you're living with this identity, it's like you have to be grateful for all the little things day by day. And at the same time, it's kind of sad that like 
you can't really complain. It's like, oh, I've been given this opportunity. I know other people who were, who wish they had DACA, and right now it's like shut down. No one, there's no new application. So I know that I'm very grateful for what I do have right now. Currently, it's shut down. Yeah, um, Whoa. there's new. Yeah, nobody can apply if um, there's new applications, and people have. There's people who haven't applied because um, you have to be a certain age to apply. You have to be like 16 and up to get the application in. So they didn't meet the age requirement. And then Trump shut it down. Um, Biden has been trying to open up the um, new applications, but I think it's the Supreme Court. Um, they've been shutting it down. So no new applications, only renewals. What do you see for the future? Is there a route? To citizenship? I think for us, it's really hard just because of like the political climate that we're in. Um, we live like in a country where it's Democrats, Republicans. It's really, it's politically divided. So they always use DACA as a way to hold the other party accountable or like basically to blackmail them. It's like, oh, um, Give us a border wall and we'll legalize your DACA students. Give us these hard immigration laws and we'll legalize your DACA students. So we're kind of always like in limbo. We're being thrown back and forth. Um, I think the only way for us right now to be legalized is would be if they pass an immigration reform. But we're talking about like more than 11 million people. So I don't know if the United States would be willing to do that. And we give a lot to the economy especially like how i told you with those five hundred dollars every two years or uh hum, however like we comes out of our pockets um i don't think they would want to let that go and you're in sociology right yes why sociology because uh, <laughs> i couldn't get into calm <laughs> but uh, i'm in sociology because uh i mean it was kind of like um those things that can that come out like by mistake that you would never see yourself in that in that space or in like doing something and all of a sudden you're in there. Um, I took like a sociology class my freshman year at community and I had this one teacher. I really liked her. Like um um it was just like she lived she lived such a humble life. And I guess I just looked up to her, like the way that like she had like all these hardships or like these difficulties in life and she was still like a good person. So I think that's why I really liked her class. And it was like, it was the way that she taught sociology. It was like, oh, these are the struggles, but these aren't, aren't only like the struggles for for like white people. These are the struggles for minorities. These are the struggles for women, but these are also the struggles for men. So um, I really liked her class and it was like a class that always stayed with me. Um, but I never pursued sociology. I always pursued like different majors. I always thought of like law, com, um, anything else basically. And yeah, now I'm in sociology. And what is sociology? It's basically the study of people. So how, um, kind of like com, but not really. It's kind of like how people interact, how, how society, right? Yeah. How society works, how structures are formed, like Family structures. Yeah, family structures, gender. Um, yeah, it has, I guess I'm taking like a family's course and I guess um, it kind of ties in with like my whole identity. We're 
like talking about mixed status families and how family formation has changed over the years. And I think that's um, that's something that relates to me in my family. Mm-hmm. And you're actually graduating soon, right? You're yeah. graduating in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. How does that feel? Um, yeah, it's exciting. Like I was telling you, um, it's, I don't know, I guess it's weird. I'm kind of like in this funk of like, I spent all these years trying to get to this place in my life right now. At some point in my whole education, I didn't really think I was going to graduate. I thought I was going to get a normal job and just like live day by day. And yeah, here I am. I didn't really think I would ever have that diploma in my hands. So it's kind of like, okay, now that I'm about to have it, like, how am I supposed to feel? I haven't really processed it. And I don't really know, like, what life is going to look like after I graduate. I I guess for me, it was, I never thought I would be here. So now that I'm here, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And you want to go to grad school, right? You want to go to law school? Yeah. Um, I Yeah. I'm thinking of... Yeah, either grad school or law school, but I'm leaning more towards law school. So we'll see how that goes. And why is that? Why law? I guess for me, it's always been tied with my identity. It's kind of like I ha- I've never had any other choice. I've always had to, I always had to be watching the news, not because I love the news. It was because I had to. I always had to check like, when new laws are coming out, like I always, it was always because of my safety, my parents' safety and politics is something that whether I like it or not, it's always going to be in my life. It's always been in my life for most of my life already. And I guess for law school, um, I view it as a way to like help other people like me, help other people like my family that have struggled, that don't have the money, don't have the resources. And at the same time, I have other family like, um, in like my own country I guess you could say it's kind of weird saying it like that like my own country because I've never actually been there um I have other family there and I guess if I ever do become an immigration lawyer it's like fulfilling my parents dreams of like having them here if there's anybody else that's gonna get the job done it's my might as well be me yeah dang and where would you say culture kind of applies to your life in school and as a person, is there any way that like that you're surrounded by culture in a way, like the Mexican culture? Um, yeah, I guess um, at home, I, I don't live that far away, so at home. Um, I've always been lucky enough to have roommates or like a whole apartment that has been dominated by Hispanics. So I've always had culture with me uh, my roommates love cooking like Mexican home cooked meals I had a roommate that she would cook like lentejas for me she would cook um, chilaquiles so she was always like a part of home for me and also my friends like I guess um, we've always talked about like we always talked like in Spanish we've always talked about like things that like you bring you bring with yourself from back home. So I've always had culture with me. And then right now with the whole um, graduation, I've been involved with more um, like Latinx um, people, Latinx um, groups. Um, so I've seen I've seen it more. There's more a Chicano graduation graduation, yeah, right? Yeah, that's the one I'm planning on doing. Um, yeah, I think 
being involved in that one has been really exposing me to other Hispanics in school. Um, so, yeah, I guess I've, I've never lost touch with it. Mm. And you, you mentioned the word Hispanic. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you feel about that word? Do you ever have any type of feelings towards it? or Hispanic? Or is it just a word you you don't really care about? I don't, yeah, I guess I don't really care about it. I've never really um, heard anything like... I've heard about Latinx, but I've never mm. heard about Hispanic. Yeah, because Hispanic was a made-up term by the government to kind of mm. categorize yeah. Spanish-speaking people. For the census? Yeah. And and people, a lot of people don't like that word. You know? Hispanic? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess I could see wha- where you're coming from mm. with it just because it's like it's Spanish-speaking. It's yeah. not really like an identity like as Latino, mm-hmm. Latina. Well, in my opinion, I think... People should do whatever they want. Yeah. Like, if you feel comfortable doing it, mm-hmm. then why not? You know, like, it's yeah. it, like, you know how, like, there's certain words that people have taken back and used it as, like, you know, strength, yeah. you know, things like that. I was just curious, yeah. you know, in your opinion on that. Yeah, never really heard about that. I only heard about the other one. I guess, like, I've, I've used it all the time. I'm mm. Hispanic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it gets tricky with, like, the whole Latino, Latina, Latinx. Latinx. Yeah, there's a lot. That. That's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. And what what was it like growing up? Like, did you ever did you feel like you were different, or did you not really know the implications of your status at that time? Um, I knew I knew my status. My mom made sure of it. I think that's one thing I'm always gonna be grateful for. She never hid it from me. It's kind of hard to hide it from your own child, especially when you're going to high school, college. Um, you can't really hide it anymore once you turn eighteen. Um, yeah, growing up, I remember like my first day of kindergarten, um, I was like, let's say like four or five years old and I would always speak Spanish at home because of them. Um, maybe English just when I was watching TV or with my siblings, but it was mostly Spanish. And I remember my mom telling me it's like, it was the first day of kindergarten and she told me, she's like, oh, make sure you don't tell anyone, like, make sure you don't tell anyone, like, um where you were born, like, you know, as a little kid, like you meet other little little kids and you're like, oh, this is how old I am. This is what my parents do. This is where I live. You start spilling all this information. You don't know any better. And she made sure to tell me, like, don't tell anybody, um, like, where you're from, anything, anything personal. And I, I never did. And, and to this day, I guess she was never really comfortable with me saying it. I think it has taken a lot in me to make to understand her and to make her um understand that's like I'm not embarrassed by it and if anything it's that's that's who I am. People don't like it and that's their problem, that's not mine. Um Yeah, I guess it's just um so growing up uh, I knew I knew what it was. Um I think it's um Growing up, we didn't really grow up, like, really well financially, so I think it also had something to do with it. It's, like, um, I don't really remember much, but I do remember, like, um, when we first came here, we were were renting a room from this family. So it was, like, including my grandma at the time, so it was, like, ten of us in, like, one room. So I remember that. I remember going up there. And then we moved to, like, a better house. It was... Two rooms. So it was two rooms, a living room, a kitchen. It was like, wow, we finally have our own kitchen, our own living room, even if we only have like two rooms for 10 people. Um, So I kind of already knew as I was growing up 
leading into like kindergarten. It's a lot to process for like someone who's like five years old. But yeah, and then like as I turned eight years old, I moved to like a different house. So it was um it was like, oh my God, I'm finally like a a place that has more than two rooms. Um but um yeah, it was something like you can't really hide from your child, especially when you're coming to a country where you don't know anybody, where you don't have any resources. Yeah, and how does it feel to live with that many people? Um, I liked it. I liked it. I remember my mom probably thinks I was too small to even remember, but I remember like getting up. Um, yeah, we would always we would all sleep on the floor. My grandma was the only one that had a mattress, obviously. Um, but I I remember I was so happy because I'm like, oh my god, my family's in the same place as me. Like we're all together. Like I felt safe. Uh, yeah, and then like as your siblings start growing up, as your family starts, um, you know, getting used to this country, we all move our separate ways. So um, sometimes I do wish I was in that room with them again because it's when am when am I gonna ever have them again? All of us in that same room. Mm-hmm. And do you ever find it challenging? As someone that's in higher education and then you go back home, do you kind of feel it like that you know all these things and then you know that your family kind of doesn't? It's hard to connect with them on that level because you're coming back, you're learning all these things about like, uh, I don't know, like issues in the world and in society. And you're not that they can't comprehend that, but it's difficult for them to see it through that like critical lens, right? That we're like taught in in school. Um, I think doesn't even have to do with higher education I think for me I would see it when I was like in high school where like um I already knew more things that they ever did how they had me like what doing reading taxes reading paperwork when I was like what nine years old and it's like I don't know just because I know English doesn't mean like I'm a professional but yeah so in high school I already knew that like I had more knowledge than them and yeah I guess once I started hitting university hitting community college um other like places in higher ed um when I would go back home I would think oh yeah I know more things about them things start clicking things that you thought were normal back home and then you learn about it in school and it's like oh that's not normal that's not how people should behave that's not how um things should be they start clicking and it's like oh my god I have to educate them on this it's um like even like with psychology and stuff it's like oh, it's not normal to not talk about your feelings. It's not normal to, like, um, go through struggles alone. Like, not ask for help just because you're too prideful. So it's little things like that, not just, like, having basic knowledge about, like, loss and things. Dang, yeah. And are there, like, um, (laughs) certain things that you could think about that are, like, culturally significant? to you or just happenings you know how like like a lot of mexican parents like say like face and all these little things that are like culturally saying like like the chancla chancla, things like that they like that are culturally culturally significant um loteria you know all these little things that only people that like lived it will know mm, or like just things that stayed with me yeah um I'm like thinking. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a tricky one because there's a lot of things. There's like a lot of things that like I view it as normal, but maybe for other people, it's like, oh, didn't have that in my culture. I'm like trying to think. 
I guess. Maybe, yeah, like the Loteria. Um, I would always watch soccer games with my dad. I don't know if that's culturally significant. I think it is. Yeah. I, I didn't have a dad, so I like I didn't, but <laughs> yeah. definitely. Like my uncles would always watch it, so they would always have it on. Uh, I don't know if it's culturally significant, but um, yeah, when like um, my mom would go and do like her own things or when she would like go to Mexico to like visit her family, I would stay with my dad and my way of bonding with him was like, oh, watching the soccer games. Um, even like, you know, how like dads sit around or like, like men, they just sit around, they drink and they're like making commentary about like the players. That, that was literally me and my dad. So... Um, anything I know it's from him and he had no business like teaching me how to play poker when I was like what eight years old so yeah it's like um maybe that it's like okay like um that's like something that stayed with me so whenever like I see a soccer game whenever it's like the world cup it's like I always think of him I always think of like watching that besides him um like trying to think I don't know if it's culturally culturally significant as like going to the swap me, going to the, going I was with thinking them. That too. So see that those things like that are are significant yeah. because like they're they they go past us, right? Like yeah. I know about it, you know about it. I'm sure you know some of the people that we know together know about yeah. it. No, yeah. yeah, like um, I went to visit my cousins and they had a different. I don't know if it, that's what they call it here. Maybe I'm just like don't know like these terms they called it the pulga and i was like what is yeah. that and they're like no it's this and i'm like oh the swap me like that's what yeah. it is that's they, what you call it they call it that because it's called the flea market oh <laughs> see yeah I'm, but we I'm call learning. it swap me like in santa barbara yeah, that's the what they call me. it yeah yeah but, and they say it's swap me not swap like me. Uh, like swap, when, it, when they say like walmart like walmart walmart yeah. at&t face yeah. all these little things dang yeah. and what is it like for you as a woman you know, to be in this space, you know, in higher education, one, like being undocumented and then just being Mexican, like what, are, how does that apply to that? In higher education? In, in, in all life? aspects. Cause I know culturally, like Mexican culture is very like machismo, you yeah. know, like women are in the kitchen, you know, women are doing all these like crazy things, you know, yeah. and men are working, they're freaking drinking, you know. Um, I guess my, my family did a, great job maybe it's because um when we came here we we had family but sometimes even your own family doesn't want to make doesn't want to let doesn't want you to do better than them or they gatekeep certain resources so like when my my parents when my parents were supposed to come here um they could have gotten asylum they could have gone straight to immigration and asked for asylum but they didn't so once they came here, it, I wouldn't say like three or four more years had passed so they could not apply for it. So maybe if things were different, if somebody would have told them like you could apply for it, we would have been granted immediate citizenship, but we didn't. So um, it's like certain things um, that made us grow, that made us gain independence. So um, like I'll even talk about it with some of my friends. Or how do you know this? How do you know that's like I had to grow up really fast? So um, they they were always the ones who were like, if you want to know something, don't really ask us. You have to learn how to do it yourself. So for college, I had to learn how to get here, even if I wasn't able to have like scholarships, FAFSA, anything like that. I had to know how to get here, even if I meant like I make a mistake, I get back up. I get a mistake, I 
I get back up and I have to learn from it. Um, so my dad was never really like a, I guess maybe he was machismo, but my mom did a really great job in sitting him down. So even with like soccer games and everything, he like, he tried to raise me as like one of my brothers. So I think like that broke the whole gender stereotype. I had friends who had dads who, um, I remember, um, it's like in middle school, um, my dad signed me up for soccer. I asked my friend, Hey, can, do you want to join? And she loved it. Um, her dad said in front of me, he was like, no, that's a man's game. So she never got to play. And now, like, I'm still friends with her. I'll go to her house and I'll sit down. I'll be like, oh, my God, you're watching America? Um, like, I'll just, like, make random conversation. And he'll just, like, look at me like, oh, my God, like, she watches this. So um, that's something my parents did that I'm really grateful for. Um, I don't know how to cook. So as you can tell, they never had me in the kitchen. Um, I know the basics, but that's just because I'm learning. I, I'm in college. I have to learn as as I grow. Um, yeah, it was, um, it was just like certain things like they, and like my brothers too, like, um, you have to know how to do this. You have to know how to do taxes. You have to know how to, they were really like, I guess they were like another set of parents for me. So, um, if my parents weren't, weren't hard on me, it was them. It was like, um, oh, I need help with this. Oh, you have to know how to do it by yourself. How are you going to get in life? It's, they were always really hard on me and I, um, I guess sometimes you need that growing up. You need someone to tell you, like, no one's going to help you in life. No one helped us, so you have to do it yourself. Dang. And what are some, um, what's it called, misconceptions with undocumented people, with DACA, with just, like, Mexicans? Um, there's a lot. There's, um, we're lazy. Like Trump said, we're lazy, we're rapists, we're alcoholics. Uh, they want to take our jobs, but like, look at Florida. They're taking away our jobs and no one wants to do them. So let's see how that works out for them. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Um, I've heard many people say, um, if you're undocumented, you can't get to college. But in four weeks, I'm getting my degree. Hell <laughs> so yeah, you are. <laughs> so there's that. Um let me think of what else. Um, I guess it's the, oh, like they shouldn't be here. They came here illegally, but like, that's why we have the protection. It's like, I had, what was I going to say? at like one year old, like, oh no, mom, stay. Don't, don't break the law. Like, mm-hmm. um, like I had no other option. That's just the life that I was given. Um, and it's like other things like, oh my God, like, you're getting so much resources just for your identity, but it's like, I'm getting this much out of life when I've gotten nothing out of it. Like, even even if I get this, even if I get this opportunity, this scholarship, once I graduate, I'm not going to have anything. I'm not going to have anyone hand me anything else anymore. I'm not going to have any, I'm not going to have any retirement money. I'm not going to have any social security money. Um, Even now, like you, you're not allowed to get FAFSA, which is the financial aid that the government gives to yeah. like, the, the citizens, right? And then uh, EBT, which is food stamps. You're mm-hmm. not, you're, you can't get those, right? Yeah. You don't have access to that. I don't have access. Yeah, so to there's that. a misconception in that that like, oh, like, you, they're stealing resources. Like, dog, no, like, no, no, I can't no, get not. them. Yeah. Um, like even scholarships, I yeah. can't get them. Um, loans, loans, I can't get dang. them. 
can't have a co-signer. Um, no one, no one. I'm pretty sure no one wants to be my co-signer. Where's she gonna get the money yeah. from? And where does that play into future education? Um, have you thought about it? I I think I've gone through trial and error a lot of times already, trying to get to this diploma, like just my bachelor's. That I think I already know enough to get me through um, grad school, law school. Um, my grades got me here. I'm sure my grades will keep me going. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm sure there's other resources out there. I just have to look for them. And what do you think your life would look like if you had never came to America? Like if I had stayed over there? Yeah, because I always think if I was born in Mexico, like my life would be completely different. I guess um, there's like two sides of it. Um, Mexico's not really bad. Um, it's um, like my identity. It's like... I was born in Tijuana, so I wasn't really born, like, deep in Mexico. Really? You were born in Tijuana? So I was born right by the border. Oh, my god. So goodness. it's kind of like, you can't really get any more American than that. It's like, you came here at one, you're born in Tijuana. What else do you want? You want me to be born in San Diego? If I could, I would have, but... Um, yeah, so, in a way, that also plays a part in my identity. It's kind of like, if I tell other DACA students, that it's like, oh, my God, you don't really know the struggle. you like... You're born, like, right there. You're born, like, in a place where everyone visits. You're not really born, like, in a, in a rancho, in, like, Mexican-Mexican culture. So sometimes you just feel like you're not Mexican enough, but you're also not American enough. You're kind of just there. Um, oh, my God, where was I going with the story? But um, where was I going with the story? Um, well, you're talking about like what your life would have been oh, yeah, like yeah, potentially. Yeah. So I guess if I would have stayed in Tijuana, it's not really a safe city. It's, I think it's like one of the most dangerous cities uh, right now. Are they from there, your parents? Um, one parent is, the other one's not. It's from um, San Luis, kind of close to Guadalajara. And were they living there though at the time? In Tijuana or they just went there to, to give birth to you? No. So um, my, they were living in San Luis. Some stuff happened in their life. They had to move to close to the border. They moved to Tijuana. Um, my mom had a complicated birth with me, so she had she couldn't really come, even if she wanted to like give birth to me in the U.S. She couldn't really come over here. She stayed in Tijuana for a good while. Even after she gave birth to me, she was in bed because of how complicated it was. And so that kind of like played a huge role in not me coming, not me being born here. And after that, like, as soon as she was able to get back on her feet, like, she was, like, ready to leave. But they, yeah, I guess you could say they stayed in Tijuana, like, for as long as, like, she had me or she was in the process of giving birth to me. And I, yeah, I mean, if I would have grown up, in, I, my family has, like, other, like, family members in Tijuana. Um, they're living their best life. It's not really bad. It's being more progressive now. It's just kind of dangerous from time to time. But I mean, if you're born there, you already know the norms. It's kind of like when you live in the hood, you already know the rules. You already know like what to expect, how to survive. Nothing would have really changed. It's just my parents' situation was really different from other families. So ours was kind of like with the whole asylum. So it's like I had no other choice. I had to come here if I would have like, if they would have stayed there, it was kind of dangerous for them. So... It's like 
two sides of the story. So I yeah. guess you don't really know what would have happened. And where do you land? Are you the youngest or are you no, the oldest? I'm the youngest girl, but... Is there only one girl? No. Uh, you have a sister? Yeah, I have, I have other sisters. Um, so we're... There's a lot of us. How but many? Let me think. Oh, damn. Like seven. Oh, that's not that much. Yeah, that's not that much. Yeah, I think my mom is a part of eight. I'm a part of three. Oh, yeah. oh, she lowered it down. Yeah, yeah. I have a coworker. I think he's twelve or ten, mm-hmm. and he's Italian. Oh, I know. Kind 12? of different, right? Yeah. I think it's twelve. Like, and even if if it's not twelve, it's ten. Then I have another coworker that I think is is like seven or something. I think my mom was uh, was ten. Yeah. Yeah, these would be babies, yeah. man. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. Man, I was gonna ask you something. Let's see if I remember. Hmm. Oh, something that like we're we're in the same like we're doing something together, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're we're doing yeah. like a project that I don't want to really get into. But yeah. a common thing in some of the things was that like um you know, DACA students really are family based. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um I think it's like um when we came here. You don't really have anyone else. All you have is your family. Um, you can't really trust anybody, especially with your whole identity. It's like the only people that you're ever going to trust in this life is going to be your family. They're always going to be there for you. Um, there's nobody else that's going to understand you better than them. Nobody that's going to share the same identity. Uh, you could share the same identity with other DACA students, with other undocumented um, students, but no one's going to really share the same life um, as it is with your family. And it's as much as they need me, I need them in a way, especially because of my status. As much as I want to be independent, I really can't. I'm always going to be tied to them, no matter like where I go. And it's also kind of like just this whole concept of gratitude. It's like they did so much for me. I have to give back to them as soon as I have the resources, the opportunities. I know that if they had them, they would for me. So I have them. I have to do it for them. Mm -hmm. And would you say you're more collectivist or would you say you're more individualistic? I guess I'm both. I'm collectivist when it comes to them. I always think about them. Um, Even working right now, um, I'm always thinking of them. I'm always thinking of, okay, how, how do I help them? Um, like, I would call my mom and be like, oh, do you need help paying any bill? Even if I have my own. I always think of them. But I'm also very, I, yeah, I guess you could say individualistic. But I mean, that's why I'm here. Higher education. That's why I'm thinking of more school. Um, and it has to do with my whole upbringing where, like, I, they always had me, like, not really helping me. But they had me, like, doing things on my own. Like, you have to learn how to do this. You have to learn how to do that. Like, even riding a bike. Oh, we're not going to teach you. You have to learn by yourself. It's like little things like that. Yeah. And what are some of your experiences? Like it's a different question. Some experiences here at the school that you attend. Like experiences? Yeah. Like, like, bad, like good. dude, like party life. I know there's party life, right? Like what has that been like for you? You could apply it to like DACA, but you don't have yeah. to. You could just you could just do whatever you want. Like that's not like a, a specific like, yeah. DACA question. That's literally just like yeah. you as a person. Um I guess it's it's like good or bad um 
there's times where like, oh my God, uh, why am I putting myself in this in these situations knowing my whole status? Like I'm literally just putting myself at risk. I shouldn't even be here. Um, there's a lot of white people. <laughs> I guess you could start by saying that. There's a lot of whole white people. People don't know boundaries. People don't know respect. So sometimes you don't even want to go out because of that. Um, yeah, I, like I think just being here, um, even like being in like parties or whatever, um, you kind of like see like how people grew up. There's a lot of racism too. I've never really experienced it here. My roommate has. She was in, um, I, think it's like, I guess it was like a little Hispanic party. And there was these girls, they were like white. I don't know if they were like passing by or if they were like uh, in another like building from across from that party. They were like screaming, can you turn that Mexican shit off? Like beaners, like they were like saying like really racist things. And I'm lucky enough that I haven't been put in that situation. But there's a lot of racism here, even if like people don't show it, people don't say it fully. But I'm sure they it's in their minds. And yeah, um, I guess when you actually start going to the parties, that's when you start seeing like, oh my God, like there's not really Hispanics. It's just a bunch of white people here. Have you ever thought of like Chicano studies? Were you, have you ever been interested in that? Never taken a course. I've no? never taken a course in Chicano studies, um, not even in community college. Um, I don't even know how a class, what they teach you in those classes. Dude, I, I think, think you would love it, dude. I th- I think when I hear the word Chicano, it's kind of like Mexican-American. Mm-hmm. That's not, I guess that's something I've always wanted to call myself, but because of the government and my identity, I'm not allowed to. So, really? Uh, yeah. So I feel like for me, I've n- never really been interested in it. It's Whoa. like American-Mexican struggles. It's mm-hmm. like, no, I guess, yeah, you could say like I, I have some of the shared struggles with them, but no, not really. That is very fascinating because I feel like you do play into that role mm-hmm. because a lot of people that are in uh, like the Chicano, Chicana movement are undocumented, right? Yeah. Not all of them, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I'm sure there's like... I'm, I'm sure they're involved and they're in the movement, yeah. but most of the policies and most of the activism doesn't... They're not really the yeah. target or the primary goal. So how would you identify yourself? Honestly, I don't really have a... You're kind of in limbo, huh? You yeah. mentioned earlier that like sometimes like in, just in the government-wise you're in limbo. But like, yeah. would you say in identity you're also like in a state of limbo where you don't know where to go and if it's okay to go to either or, or like mix with both? I've always I've always like seen myself as American because like that's all I knew. I've had all my what degrees from here. I've had all of like my education from here. And I've never really stepped foot in my home country. But at the same time, it's like things like, oh, I can't have access to these opportunities that like make me not want to call myself that. Or like even if I want to, it's kind of like, why would I want to call myself that? Like this country doesn't even want me. Why would I want to have the same identity as the rest of these people? Um, But at the same time, I can't really call myself Mexican. I've never stepped foot in there. Never really grew up there. Don't even know how it looks like. Um, all I know is from my parents, from what they've brought from home and from the media, like TV, anything else. Yeah. I feel like a lot of Mexicans struggle with that. You know, do you know what the East Los Angeles uh, school blowouts are? 
I don't think I've heard of them. So in the night in 1968 in Los Angeles and like Los Angeles County, and there was like other schools as well involved with it. But anyways, they walked out because of the unfair treatment and inequality in education that they were receiving from the school. Yeah. Right. Um, and they were fighting for um, certain teachers to get fired because they were being racist towards Mexicans and other people as well, like including black people. I know that uh, yeah. there were some black students that did walk out as well in other schools. Um, they wanted bilingualism taught. They wanted Mexican-American or Mexican uh, history taught as well. Mm-hmm. They wanted like stuff that applies to them, yeah. you know, and uh, I think. Three out of four students, I hope that's correct, three out of four students didn't even graduate high school. Like, even to this day, I th- or like, there was a study that was done that white people and African Americans have been uh, rising in education. So, like, mm-hmm. they're passing high school, they're going into college. But more or less, like, Mexicans have, like, stayed the same since the, like, since then. Right. So it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, there's there's still systems in place to kind of keep people out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And like I think even to this day, it's the whole um, like my high school was placed right by the fields, like right by the pesticides. Um, It's the whole prison, like what is it called? Like the school to prison pipeline. Yeah, the school to prison pipeline, the prison nexus. Yeah. Yeah. The whole... um, you can't really work any sports attire because you're automatically a gang member. Um, yeah. yeah, I've been dress coded too just for wearing like a plain shirt. And as a kid, you're just like wearing a shirt. Yeah. You don't really know. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I think like to this day, like it still applies. No, I really like that. I really enjoy that. Like even getting that knowledge from you that yeah. like you're like, oh, I really don't identify. I, th- I think that type of stuff is fascinating because yeah. it goes to show that like, you know, just because someone does identify with this, another person may not, Why which not? is awesome for like the same reason that's a cool perspective yeah and um there was also in the chicano blowouts right there was a lot of chicana involvement a lot of Mm -hmm. women leadership and for the most part even in like chicano um history for some time it was ignored Mm -hmm. but women played a big part in the los angeles blowouts which is crazy like they were doing networking they were um like giving speeches and stuff. They were organizing. They were doing all these things that, you know, are lost to history a lot, you know? But yeah, that that's just a little yeah. bit of like what Chicano studies, the the education class that I'm learning about. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. They even talk about your hometown, which is, I think I mentioned to you before. Yeah. You talk about like there was segregation in 1934, I believe, and in a few years after that, mm-hmm. specifically with Mexicans and that like parents didn't want them to like intermingle with you know like, their, their kids yeah. and yeah no yeah um i think um i've moved elementary schools a lot growing up so i've gone to a whole hispanic elementary school but i've also gone to like um elementary schools where it's like mostly white kids but at the same time it's like hispanic children that are raised i want to say as white so, like, what the are those whole- cars? Are those called pachucos? Or- I've never heard of them. I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong term. Maybe that's a bad term. I don't know. There's a name for it. Oh, uh, pochos? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've heard that's that what word. I meant. Yeah. That. I recently learned what that word means. That's and I was like, what, what does it mean? And my friend told me, he's like, oh, it means like when they don't know Spanish, like they don't know the culture. They Yo, don't- Sabo, you know, yeah. you know those. Oh, uh, man. Like, I understand like, <laughs> if, like your parents ever taught you like yeah. Spanish, if, 
But I'm like, you have to know the culture. Like yeah. at some point you can't just like deny it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And are there any like topics or any issues that you would like to mention? Not even just issues, just mm-hmm. like anything about life and your experiences. Is there anything that comes to mind? Like anything. It doesn't have to be about like yeah. anything specific. Is there anything that you just like want to talk about? Um, I'm like thinking because like mm-hmm. with the project, like how you yeah. mentioned, yeah. I feel like I've hit so many points. Yeah. So even talking about like sociology and things in your classes, mm-hmm. what you've experienced at CC, literally yeah. everything's on the table. You know. I'm like going back to like the whole project thing because I feel like I shared a lot there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like now I'm just like. The like one we were like, in together? Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. kind of like, we already we already talked about this. Well, not really, because it's never been on air. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the topics we've hit are the, like, the whole, you can't travel. You can't really go see, like, um, your upbringing. So I think that comes with the whole loss of identity. Is, like, at any point, like, my future, like, my future is unknown. I can't, I don't like to talk about like when people are like what are you going to do in the future sometimes i'll just give like a generic thing but i don't really like thinking long term because even even if i didn't have the status life's really funny like that you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow nothing's ever set in stone so just even knowing that my future's unknown nothing's permanent that what will my life look like if I'm ever put in a country where I've never lived? I don't know the laws. I don't know the policies. I don't even know the currency. So, like, I just can't help but think, like, how cruel would the government be to take me or other people with the same identity as me to a place we've never we never been to, we don't identify as, maybe, or we've yeah we just never grew up and it's kind of like the same thing our parents immigrated to this country not knowing anything not knowing the language and like they still made it with like this amount of income that's like what way below the poverty line but you know it's a choice but for us it's not really a choice it's kind of like you're being forced you're kind of being put in there dang heck yeah (laughs) are there any other things that you Mm. I think that's one thing. Um, I think we talked about, like, the whole concept of, like, um, the whole marriage thing. That, like, sometimes people view it as, like, the only way of... Have you ever thought of that? uh, Marriage as, like, a pathway to citizenship. Yeah. Not, not like, saying, like, oh, have you actually thought about it? But, like, do you ever think about that? Like, oh, dang, people do that. Yeah. um, Yeah, and I've seen seen people do it. Um, My nephew has a has like a uncle from his side of the family. He's also on DACA and he has a girlfriend and his, um, my sister-in-law, she's always talking about like, oh, I've told him, I've told him so many times you should just get married. Like all your problems will go away. And I've told her many times, like you can't really force him to do something he's not comfortable with, no matter how much he loves her. I know why he's not doing it. I know why he's not proposing, even if it's like making his relationship like, be in jeopardy because you never know how like your partner's gonna feel like after you've never put that on the table after being with them for so long but it's the whole thing of like it's not even about being prideful it's like it's a lot to ask for 
out of a person, even if you know you want to spend the rest of your days with them, even if you know that like they're not doing it out of pity. It's a lot to ask for um like you're gonna make all you're gonna fix my identity that I've been struggling with since birth, you're gonna fix it with one piece of paper. Um you're kind of in debt to them. It's like you can never replace that favor ever in your life. What happens if they get divorced? Do you lose a status? No, you don't lose a status, but I think you have to be with them for a good amount of years. And you get monitored, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't they don't 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 they like actually get that like photos with family? You have to have this, you have to have like it's, all these little things. It's kind of hard like when you're not in love with the person and you're only doing it for business, that's when it becomes like an issue. Mm. But it's way easier when it's like your actual genuine. partner. Yeah, yeah, it's genuine. Um you go to DHS, you like if you have a baby, woo, like that's a whole bonus, <laughs> but yeah, you as long as you're with them, you share bills, you have pictures, vacations um, that you guys have gone with. That's pretty much it. It's kind of difficult when you don't like the person and you don't even want to see them. Mm-hmm. That's when it starts becoming suspicious. Yeah, that makes sense. Dang. Well, let's see. I think it's around that time. Well, I just really want to thank you for coming in and like sharing your story and sharing some of the important facts that people may not know. I want to congratulate you on getting your degree. That's like so badass. Hopefully next year that'll be me. Is there any last things you want to say or just you're good? Um, I want to say thank you for having me here. Thank you for giving me the, giving me this space to talk. And um, I mean, yeah, I mean, sure, that's going to be you next year. You're going to grab your degree as well. I hope so. Um, and you're going to be in the same spot that I am. Yeah. Um, I guess the only thing is, like, I wanted to do this podcast just for, because like I told you, I've never really been open to it. Um, never really talked to this much detail to, a, to like, one individual. But I think uh, I'm, a, I'm hitting this point in life where... I think it's necessary to even talk about it to whoever even listens to it just because you don't know how many people have like the same identity and they're just living among you and they're living their lives from day to day and like as normal mm-hmm. and you just don't know. Yeah, even people that are in high school right now that don't see education as a possibility, like maybe they could listen to it and see that they could achieve anything. Yeah, like I think for those that are in high school right now, it's going to be way difficult then for me um, just because DACA doesn't apply to them anymore. DACA is not open to them anymore because of the whole age requirement and like the whole you had to come to the United States from a certain time period. So for them, I feel like they're the new generation of like undocumented immigrants. Dang. I think hopefully when my situation fixes, there's something for them. But I think even if... Um, you know, someone or whoever's listening to this knows someone that are in high school that's having the same struggle. Just know that it's not impossible to get here with DACA or without DACA. Mm-hmm. No matter what it is, like even if you can exercise your career or there's many other options for them. You just have to look for them. Um, I think for now, there's many people with DACA that are occupying spaces as counselors, lawyers, doctors, and as long as we have one of us in a profession or out there, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to help my community. And I'm sure there's other people that are willing to help them as well.
Wow, that was beautiful to end on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Of course. Thank you.